0: I don't know that anyone is going to remain the CMO of a major company if they're not talking about AI in 2023. Welcome to the Marketing AI Show, the podcast that helps your business grow smarter by making artificial intelligence approachable and actionable. You'll hear from top authors, entrepreneurs, researchers, and executives as they share case studies, strategies, and technologies that have the power to transform your business and your career. My name is Paul Reitzer, I'm the founder of Marketing AI Institute, and I'm your host. Welcome to episode 28 of the Marketing AI Show. I'm your host, Paul Reitzer, along with my co-host, as always, Mike Kaput, Chief Content Officer and co- at the Marketing AI Institute and co-author of our book, Marketing Artificial Intelligence, AI Marketing and the Future of Business, which is available in print digital and audio. Now, this is our first episode of 2023 and the first time Mike and I were back in the office together in 2 weeks and we actually didn't have a plan for today's episode and then we got talking and I was sharing with Mike a, a podcast episode I'm listening to of flex Friedman's um on the, I was right listening to on the ride into work today and it just like got us talking about big picture stuff. So I'm going to turn it over to Mike in a moment. First, um, this episode is brought to you by our new Piloting AI for Marketers online course series. This is a series from Marketing Institute's Online Academy that we designed as a step-by-step learning journey for marketers and leaders to guide them through adopting AI to advance their companies and careers. The series includes 17 new on-demand courses that Mike and I recorded in December 2022. So as everything was happening with ChatGPT and Generative AI, so extremely timely and relevant. It actually worked out really well when we planned to release these. Um, But there's dozens, if not hundreds, of AI use cases and technologies featured, a collection of templates and frameworks to help you get started, really understand and apply AI. Um, We've taken everything we've learned over the last decade or so of researching AI and hundreds of hours of planning and production and put it into this series to bring it to life. So If you're at the point where you're trying to figure all this stuff out and you want to get a head start, especially in in 2023 uh, or whenever you're you're listening to this, uh, visit pilotingai.com to learn more about that series. And you can use the code AIPOD50 for $50 off your registration. Uh, So again, pilotingai.com, if you want to jump in and take it. It's about eight hours of learning, so you can do it in a day. So if you're trying to figure out AI, lock in a Saturday and just like knock this thing out over the weekend and you're going to be ready to roll all right, Mike, I'm going to turn over, uh, I guess, a special edition, in essence, because we are not following the standard format on this one.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it, Paul. Happy New Year. I'm glad Mm -hmm. to be back. It's, uh, It's going to be a big year, as I think we're going to talk about a little bit during this episode. But like you mentioned, we're doing a special edition here. So typically, the format of this is that we talk through, you know, three recent advancements in the news or items in the news related to artificial intelligence. And as anyone who's been following for the past few episodes knows, we kind of joke seriously that every week there are stunning new advances in AI. A week in AI these days feels like years. There are so many different developments, there's so many different releases and transformations happening in the world of AI. And with all the past episodes we've done recently, we've almost been kind of bombarded by a new transformative development almost every week. And so what we want to do today is actually take a step back and connect the dots a bit for the audience Uh, of the Institute and of the podcast to really show people in aggregate what these types of developments mean. So the basic thesis is this. um, Based on a number of things that we're going to discuss in a second here, at Marketing AI Institute, we are seeing some really strong quantitative and qualitative signals that indicate we're at what we're calling an AI inflection point. And By that, we mean an inflection point where AI in 2023, we hypothesize, is going to go mainstream based on these signals and change in the process everything we take to be true about business and careers in every industry. Now, to kind of tee this up before I turn it over to you, Paul, back in 2016, when Marketing AI Institute was founded, we kind of put out this idea that AI has the power to change everything. In fact, you wrote in the intro blog post for the Institute that, you know, the day it was... You went into the archives here. (laughs) Exactly. And we'll link to that in the show notes to see if people uh, appreciate our prediction. But you wrote that artificial intelligence possesses the power to change everything. That includes not only marketing, that includes business, the economy and society at large. And that was back in 2016. And kind of getting in the time capsule here, in 2016, we saw the promise of AI, but it was still fairly limited in its commercial application. You know, deep learning was an important technology that existed and was very promising, but only in research labs. Um transformers, you know, a core AI technology that led us to things like GPT, GPT GPT-2 and 3, that was still under development. And consumer AI applications, while there were plenty of them that were viable and impressive, they were still relatively limited. And a lot of them were baked into big tech platforms, think Alexa, Siri, Google Maps, or limited to very big firms that had the budget to build these solutions. Now, we saw really strong momentum and trends of AI investment and development over the subsequent years. Um, But I think we both agreed that everything fundamentally changed in 2022. And there's a few reasons for this. Since about mid-2022, we've seen this explosion of AI capabilities and technologies in an almost exponential curve driven largely by generative AI. And in the process, Generative AI and related technologies have upended what everyone, including some of the top minds in AI, have thought were possible. So I'm just going to touch on a few very quick points here of why we're at this inflection point, why we think we might be really on the cusp of a golden age of artificial intelligence development. And then I'm going to turn over to you because I want to get your thoughts on this and have you kind of round out why we might really be at a tipping point here. And so in 2022, starting just in April, we see the release of DALI 2. So we've talked about that at length. DALI 2 allows you to generate images using text prompts. Now, DALI 2 got a million users in two and a half months. So that blew GPT-3 out of the water. It took GPT-3 24 months to reach the same milestone. Now. In August 2022, just a few months later, the open source model Stable Diffusion comes out. That also generates images from text. Now, OpenAI's technology kind of had somewhat of a restricted API, but Stable Diffusion allowed anyone to build on top of it. And according to Andreessen Horowitz, it actually had the fastest uptake of any technology ever by developers that they have seen based on GitHub usage benchmarks. Now, at that time, you're reading a lot of articles about AI art generation, image generation, copyright, how art is being disrupted, stock photos are being disrupted. That was all well and good and really interesting. But a lot of people missed that this wasn't a story about AI generating art. It was a story about AI understanding natural language well enough to turn text into anything you can imagine and investors i would say really saw the writing on the wall here at least the savviest of them you saw companies like jasper raise 125 million dollars series a round valued at 1.5 billion in order to generate writing and copy you saw runway ml which has content and image editing tools powered by ai valued at 500 million raising 50 million dollars you had stability ai which is powered by stable diffusion um Valued at over a billion dollars with 101 million in funding. So there was this wave of funding for generative AI. And, you know, according to Pitchbook in 2022 alone, investors bet at least over a billion dollars on this crop of VC backed companies. Um, this was across 78 different de- deals. And that was at a time when I think we were seeing in the rest of the startup world uh, funding drop off a cliff. Now, this all culminates in no, on November 30th, 2022. And that's when ChatGPT comes out and rocks the world. And in just five days, ChatGPT gets 1 million users, which blows Dolly 2's record out of the water. Yeah. Since that day, it's just been 34 days to the recording of this podcast since ChatGPT launched. We've seen tons of different tools. They use ChatGPT-like interfaces to honestly kind of work wonders. Things like telling AI what you want to code and it generates code for you. There's tools that automatically build pitch decks based on text prompts. There's projects where artists use chat GPT prompts and image generation to create professional looking characters from scratch in minutes. I mean, we have tools now that create videos, narratives, scripts, plans, checklists, even code from simple text prompts. And really where we've gotten right now is this crazy tipping point where what we've hypothesized in the past is actually coming true. And so we really wanted to devote today's episode to outline why we think we are about to enter a brave new world where AI is going to reshape the work of every professional in every industry. So I wanted to kick it off, Paul, and just ask kind of, does that Track to you with what you've seen in the market. Why do you think we're at an AI inflection point today?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack in in that opening, and it's funny to think back to 2016. You know, when I, we launched the institute, and for people aren't familiar, like we started researching AI. I personally did in 2011. So, I mean, my efforts to understand this space team just basically with a, a theory that it would eventually be applied to marketing and sales and we could maybe build an intelligence engine one day that would uh, predict strategies and and things like that. And that was how I just started researching AI. And then fast forward, you know, 2014, we wrote a little bit about it in my second book. And then 2016, we launched the blog for the Institute. So I mean, we're going back 11 years that we've been sort of researching and writing and theorizing about what was going to happen. And I feel like More progress was made in the four weeks to end 2022 than we had made in the the 10 years prior. Like it, it was just one of those things where, you know, I wrote my marketers first experience with chat GPT or whatever it was on like December 2nd, I think like, so two days after it came out and I feel like there was just this crazy tipping point where all of the sudden everyone was talking about generative AI, chat GPT, friends of mine who I hadn't heard from in years who knew we were maybe doing some stuff with AI, like all of a sudden we're reaching out, asking questions. Um, Every conversation I was having with people in business and people in the AI community was centering around these same feelings. And so it was just like, you got this qualitative feeling that things were happening and what you and I had talked about is like you know, what's the quantitative story here? Like, is it really happening? And I think ChatGPT is such a tangible thing to look at because you can just look at pure numbers. Like, oh, okay, yes, we know it was a million after five days. I don't know what it is today. I don't know that they've released any data, but I would imagine it's probably in the five to 10 million user range for ChatGPT, if not more, I I don't know. Um, But that's a quantitative piece. You're not going to see the follow-on, like investment data for a little while. We're not going to see... Like I want, I mean, you can look at Google Trend data and look at search volume. Like, there's some things we can look at that tell us it's happening. But so much for me has really just been, again, these kind of conversations that are happening, the outreach on LinkedIn I'm getting, the amount of people that I follow in the marketing space who are now talking about AI for the first time in their careers, which I think, by the way, is is wonderful. Like, this is the moment I think we've been waiting for. Is for everyone else. to um, to kind of join the party. So like say, yeah, like this is gonna be huge because on our own, um, we weren't gonna get there. Like just us talking about this was never going to be enough even after five plus years of doing it. And that's why, you know, I think in what late 2021, we introduced that 1 million marketer challenge. And the whole premise was like, we need at least a million marketers to understand AI before we can have a major movement created and really transform the industry. And that was the premise back then is like, we can't do this on our own. And we needed more companies talking about it. We needed more influencers talking about it. And so that's what we're starting to see is so many of my author friends, speaker friends who never done anything on AI um, are having points of view on it, which I, th- I think is wonderful. And I, I hope that they keep going uh, on that. Um, and then I think the same with marketing leaders. Like, you know, I saw a CMO yesterday, someone tagged me on LinkedIn on a CMO of a a big company, and uh, he was saying like, all right, I'm in, like, I want to put my 10,000 hours and I want to learn about this stuff. And that's what we've been missing. Like, I think we've just, you know, we looked around years ago, I guess probably about a year, year and a half ago, when we're doing the AI for CMOs report, we couldn't find the CMOs talking about it. There was nobody. It was like four out of the top 50 CMOs in the world had ever mentioned AI online that we could find, like just Google searching for it. So I I think that's going to change. I, I don't know Uh, that anyone is going to remain the CMO of a major company if they're not talking about AI in 2023. So I think there's just been a lot of that, a lot of conversations, and then even just like, again, over the weekend. So December 31st, I'm looking at my Twitter feed, three three retweets I did. The first was Greg Brockman, who is a co-founder of OpenAI, creator of Dolly and GPT-3. Prediction, 2023 will make 2022 look like a sleepy year for AI advancement and adoption followed by Andrew Ng, who is the co-founder of Coursera, a Stanford professor, uh, head, was head of Badu AI group and co-founder or co-lead of Google Brain. Um, and one of like the foremost AI experts in the world, his, his machine learning course, which I took on Coursera, I think that had millions of people take it. He said, 2022 has been a great year for AI progress. Excitingly, this has laid a foundation for even more progress in 2023. Uh, also same day, December 31st, Mustafa Solomon, who's one of the co-founders of DeepMind, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I'm one of the co-founders of deep mind 2022 has been the most productive year for applied AI ever. 2023 is going to make it look like it was a no big deal. So again, it, this isn't just us, like the people who are actually building this stuff, who know what's coming like that to me is like the big prelude. Oh, there was one other one I put on LinkedIn. Which was Sam Altman. I don't think I have that one like right in front of me, but Sam uh, said basically like the same thing like, this is going to be massive. It's coming. Um, So, everyone who knows what they're talking about, who are in the research labs, who are building this stuff and seeing what's coming in three, six, 12 months, they are tipping their hand on Twitter saying, like, you've seen nothing yet. And that's, that's jiving with everything I'm hearing um, from people that we talk to who are building these things is that no one's ready for what's actually going to happen. And I think, like, we'll get into like, the impact on marketers and agencies and leaders and stuff. But the thing I started thinking a lot about over uh, holiday breaks, so I actually took a little time, time away and, like, you know, try to process what was going on. I was really thinking deeply about what, what if Google and Microsoft and Amazon and NVIDIA and Apple and Meta, like, what are they going to do? Mm. And I, I know we're going to kind of get into that as like the, the, really the meat of today's conversation. But that to me is the great unknown, like maybe the trillion dollar question for 2023 is where do we go from here? But, uh, you know, I think first, maybe we, we spend a few moments talking about like, what does this inflection point actually mean to different people, different professions.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I wanted to, there's a few groups I specifically wanted to ask you about. I mean, assuming the inflection point exists, I mean, and I think it's a pretty solid it projection. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's very few things
0: in my career where I've like, I, I, I got the inbound marketing movement right. Like back in 2008, I bet my entire agency's future on Brian Halligan, Dharma, Shaw, HubSpot and the inbound marketing movement. That was a good bet. I was, I was very confident. I was very young. I mean, I was 29 when we made that bet, I guess, like I started 2005. Yeah, 29 when we kind of bet the future on like inbound marketing. And I would say my confidence level at that time was probably in like the 80 to 90% range I was making the right call. Hmm. I I would say that right now I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm like 99.9% confident that, that we have reached the inflection point we've been waiting on. Um. We can talk a little bit later on. Like that doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean there aren't going to be setbacks. It doesn't mean there won't be unrealistic expectations applied. And therefore the dissenters are going to say, well, it didn't do what it was supposed to do. It's, that's the history of AI is people mm-hmm. doubting the long-term potential because they're only looking at the short term. And that's actually one of the things we can touch on as we think about marketers and agents. Don't get caught looking at the shiny object. Chad GPT and Dollar, they're the shiny objects. That is not the future, though. It's just a tool, and so what we need to do as marketers is we have to we have to think about the bigger picture, and that's why we're going to talk, you know, in a minute about these bigger companies and what's going on.
1: And before we get there, so talk to me a little bit. And you've you've actually published quite a bit about this the last few days, few weeks. What's the inflection points impact on? Well, talk to me about like a brand marketer, individual marketers and marketing agencies. I think there's going to be a pretty profound shift here. I mean, we've been talking about this for a long time, but now it's here. If I'm a marketer, what do I need to be thinking about? For marketers, it's going to start,
0: obviously, to me in the creative realm, which I didn't think. Like if you had asked me two years ago, where would it start? I thought it was going to be analytics, personalization, things like that, you know, would be where where most of the adoption happened early. But those, those use cases and technologies aren't as accessible. They're not as like, go get the tool right now. And by the afternoon, you're creating outputs with it. You're doing something of value. That's why I think the creative stuff, the generative AI movement changed everything is mm. <clears throat> any marketer can now go get an image generation tool mm. they can go get a writing tool and they can use it. So, I think if you're a marketer and you specifically work in any creative realm, could be design, could be content creation, could be video creation, um, anywhere in there, script writing, like anything, your, your impact is immediate. Like, you should be thinking right now about how to use AI in your existing workflows because the tools are cheap. You can go get anything for under 100 bucks. Some of them are 30 bucks. Like, you can get a lot of these tools you can experiment with them, you can create outputs, you can improve the outputs, like you're not replacing yourself. So I think for marketers, the immediate thing in 2023 is find ways to infuse these generative AI tools into your existing workflows, and to train your team how to use them so that they can become more efficient and better at their jobs. So like, I'm not talking about like, let's transform entire departments and teams and like, have to like spend all this time investing in AI education training, like that should be happening in the background, but don't wait for that to do it. If you look at your team and say, wow, we're spending 400 hours a month creating content, whether it's demand gen content or top of the funnel content or podcasts, webinar, whatever, how can we use AI right now to do that more efficiently and to do it better? So for marketers, I would say it's a use case based thing, Find the use cases where you're already doing a task and find a way to do it better, smarter, cheaper.
1: Yeah, and I think what's really interesting with we've talked about our use case model for a long time um, of doing just that is really listing out kind of everything you do in a day and figuring out where could AI make your workflow more Uh, more intelligent, and something like ChatGPT, as one example, allows you to test that right now. I mean, anyone listening to this could stop the podcast, go write down a quick list of stuff they did today, and then start playing around with a a free, immediately accessible tool like ChatGPT to see, hey, where are areas that this actually could maybe help out or augment what I'm already doing. Now, how about marketing agencies? I know we just published something today about Uh, With your comments on what agencies need to think about, because when I look at some of this stuff and having worked with you at your agency, I start to wonder if we don't need to start rethinking agencies from the ground up based on the power of some of this technology.
0: Okay, so yes. To context here for people who don't know me, uh, I ran an agency for 16 years. We were HubSpot's first partner back in 2007, and I wrote my first book, The Marketing Agency Blueprint. I've spent my professional life thinking about and building agencies, (laughs) so it is—it's never far from my mind of what does this mean for agencies. I have a lot of friends who still run agencies. I still, you know, advise my agency. I'm not involved day to day anymore. Um, but I think deeply about the impact on agencies and I, 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 I think they're in trouble, like, (laughs) and this is probably why there's a few professions and a few areas that I I think are going to get impacted really fast. Uh, writing is another one, like writers, we can talk about that, Mm -hmm. um, but agencies they're So a lot of agencies still bill hourly rates. Like they're still billing some form of work per hour. Um, Many haven't shifted to like a value-based model. And so if you just think about like, let's say your agency creates content or you pay an agency to create content or you're a freelance writer who contracts with agencies, whatever, it's a big ecosystem. And you're getting paid to create content today. And let's say like the example I use in, in the, the blog post was, uh, let's say you're writing a thousand word blog post for a client and you're, you know, on average to write it, to edit it, to publish it, to put images in whatever, it takes about seven hours, just roughly speaking. So it's about $1,050 in revenue you're going to generate. If you're charging by the hour and your client pays you by the hour, you can make the thousand dollars. So if you infuse chat GPT and, 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 or any of the dozens of AI writing tools, that exist, like writer, uh, Jasper, Piper Wright, whatever they may be, you infuse these writings, there's no way you can't create that same piece of content out the door with AI generated images in under an hour. And I I am not saying the, the AI replaces the writer. I'm saying like, I've, I've written posts with it. Like I know how quickly it does it and how good it is and how much time the human in the loop part takes. So I'm not saying take the I generate content and go start publishing a bunch of stuff, but you and I have both done this. We've done it for Damn. outlines of eBooks. Uh, I did it for formats for our conference, like a sample agendas for the conference, business plans. I, like I've created all kinds of content using these GPT uh, tools and they're really good. And so if you're an agency and you are relying on billable hours for any kind of generative content, again, whether it's visuals or video or whatever. The time it's going to take you to do your work is going to be s- s- sliced dramatically, M- you know, maybe, maybe 10 times less than what you would usually spend, like a massive cut. So if you're still charging by the hour, what are you going to do? Hmm. Like you, you, You're going to charge one hour for what used to take you seven? Well, now you don't need your staff anymore because now you're able to... So I think there's a, there's a fundamental problem. If, if you are an agency that is charging an hourly rate to create anything, any kind of output, you cannot do that anymore. Like it's done. And all it takes is brands to realize that because let's say mm-hmm. I'm paying an agency to do that. Now I'm, I'm going to put my brand hat on. Like I run a the Institute. Let's say we were paying an outside agency to create content for us. And I knew what Jet, chat GPT and GPT tools were able to do. And they were charging me $500, $1,000, whatever to create blog posts for us. There's no way in hell I would continue to pay that. Like, mm-hmm. I'd be like, I'll just hire my own marketer. Like I can have someone on our team create content five to 10 times the output you're creating as an agency for less money. So if you're an agency that creates content for a living, your financial model is obsolete. Mm-hmm. Done. Like, and even if it's a value-based model, it's still probably obsolete because the, the, the value of content dropped. So. Even on a value-based model, you have to rethink it. So that the, the three things I call was a billing model, which I think I've hammered enough. Um, creativity, so mm. the things you can now create. So like the, this is the opportunity realm. What can you create now for clients that you couldn't before? What kind of imagery, videos, kind, like language, what can you generate now that you couldn't? And then the last thing I touched on was innovation. Like what are the products and services you should be offering that either doesn't exist right now in your firm or maybe doesn't exist period because you're at the front lines. Like you're working with these clients. You know, the pain points better than most, you know, the opportunities, like what can you build now that you couldn't have built before? And so that to me is like the, again, I could talk for agencies for the entire episode and maybe we're going to do that in a future episode. (laughs) Um, But I think those are the three key things. If I was running an agency, I would be, I would look at right now.
1: Hmm. As a, yeah, starting today. You need yeah. to solve this. So zooming out a bit from marketers and agencies, and uh, let's talk about maybe the people that would be hiring marketers and agencies. So business leaders, let's say non, mar- either marketing leaders or non-marketing business leaders or people that own a business or help run it. What does this mean for them?
0: Have to educate immediately. Mm-hmm. So like, again, the way I look at it, Within the industry, we have five people and all of us are aware of AI and all of us are researching different tools based on what our role in the firm is. Um, I I would look at the major areas where your team invests time and I would find someone who can own looking for smarter solutions within that space. So one, I would prioritize education as we've, if anybody listened to our like state of AI episode you'll know that, uh, there isn't much, there's not much AI education happening within organizations. So you have to find content. Now, again, you can go get the piloting AI for marketers course and just infuse that in like, just have everybody take that. And the whole team will be up to speed in a day. Um, but you have to find a way to teach people what AI is, how to use it, how to find use cases, how to look at problems differently It's kind of like the basic things and then over time you may actually start evolving your hiring practices. But the immediate step is you cannot wait till the end of 2023 to take action. So I would say you wanna prioritize who is gonna own researching solutions within a space to find smarter tech, because again, AI is just smarter technology, um, to do what we're doing more efficiently and and better. Um, So I would start there, the use case side, and then on the problem-based side, this is what we teach in the Piloting AI for Marketers course series, you have to look at all the different things, all these high value problems that you might be able to solve more intelligently. So the example I use, I think in the course was um, our conference. I, I go mm-hmm. into great, like inside the Institute, kind of great detail around the challenges of running an in-person conference right now. And how do we solve it smarter than maybe we've tried to solve it in the past. But there's all kinds of business challenges around demand generation, customer experience, churn, um, you know, profitability, whatever your challenges are, as a leader, you're looking at what else can we be doing to solve these problems smarter than we've previously
1: done. I think it also might be worth reiterating well, your unique solution to these problems. Will, will it'll look different for everyone, but we're not talking about hiring a data scientist or a machine learning engineer or finding one within your organization, though that's helpful in certain contexts. We're talking about taking the people that already have the domain expertise and having them learn and understand what is possible with artificial intelligence, which anyone can do, regardless of technical or non-technical background. What about investors? Like anyone from VCs to, to people with portfolio companies, um, to even angel investors that are looking to invest in the next generation of companies or have invested in them already? I mean, what do they need to be thinking about here?
0: So again, context, like I'm an investor in an angel fund that invests in startups, mostly software companies. I have friends who run venture funds. Um, I talk with Venture Studio, people like pretty tapped into the space in general. And what I've been telling my friends who are angel investors or who run funds, whatever it is, is one, do not invest in a SaaS company that doesn't have an AI roadmap. Like if, if, this, if you're investing in SaaS, and they have no idea what they're doing with AI, get someone on their team who does, or a board member who does, whatever it is. like Someone has to lead the immediate development of an AI roadmap for the product and platform itself. How are we gonna make the software smarter and the company as a whole? That I think is obvious. Like I, I hope that's obvious to a lot of people right now, or it's becoming quickly very obvious to people. But the, the blind spot I'm seeing is, like you're seeing all this VC funding dry up. You can look at any pitch book, you know, CB Mm -hmm. Insights, wherever you're going to go. The Funding is like, like you said, fell off the table in 2022. So like the funding stopped. However, what I don't know is happening enough is the audit of the existing portfolio. So if Mm -hmm. you're an angel investor or if you're a fund manager, whatever it is, and you have two, five, 50, a hundred SaaS companies in your portfolio, same deal. I would do an audit right now that says, who on your team understands AI? Hopefully it's the CEO. It's probably not going to be, but you want someone in every portfolio company that deeply understands the impact AI is about to have on their business. Because that software can be obsoleted overnight by someone who's just playing around on the weekend building stuff. I mean, we're seeing it. We, like, you listed some of these like crazy tools that are popping up. And so like, If I was an individual like point solution software company, I would be terrified right now. And I'd be moving really quick. If I was a platform software company, CRM, automation, marketing, sales, or whatever it is, I would be like Google style code red. Like what Hmm. in our platform is gonna be obsoleted by someone building a smarter version of that feature, that tool or the entire platform. So if I'm an investor, I want answers right now as to who in each portfolio company or future investment understands AI and can build a roadmap for how it's going to be infused into that company or I'm not making that investment or I'm certainly not doing a follow-on investment. So that, that's, again, like I have pretty strong feelings about this one, kind of like I do with agencies. Um, and I don't think enough investors are thinking that way because I don't think enough investors understand AI enough yet. Like it's like everybody, business leaders, marketers, agencies, investors, very few people deeply understand AI and the impact it's going to have. And that leads to the shiny object thing. Mm-hmm. They think chat GPT. It's like all of a sudden in the last four weeks, everyone's talking about AI. But they're talking about chat GPT. They're not even talking about the underlying like structure, architecture that enables chat GPT. They're not talking about the other innovations that are happening in these major companies that are going to be bigger than chat GPT because all they know is the shiny object. And that to me is like where people could get themselves in trouble. If they if they stop at just trying to solve for ChatGPT, they're going to miss the much bigger threat and opportunity.
1: Yeah. And I think that's one of the motivations behind today's episode is with all this kind of blistering pace of innovation and releases, we wanted to sit back and say, it's time to wake up. I don't think it's too strong of language to say this is An alarm bell for both threats and opportunities. Like today needs to be the day whenever you're listening to this that you start paying attention because it is here and it is going to be a crazy year. Now, you referenced before a trillion dollar question that we probably won't solve just on this episode, but has to be on everyone's minds. I mean, we've talked about companies like OpenAI, which are extremely well-funded and have deep connections to the biggest companies in Silicon Valley, and they're pushing this innovation forward. But where are the big tech companies on this? I mean, in the uh, book that we published this year, we talked about companies like Google, Amazon, Microsoft. Obviously, Meta is another huge player. Maybe walk us through how you see big tech leaders responding to these types of technologies.
0: So I I think... It, it's really helpful to understand at a high level what's happening or what happened. And, and so what happened in 2022 is OpenAI, Stability AI, AI Runway ML, Hugging Face, you had these, these kind of independent labs and companies that aren't bound by these massive barriers to release tech that the other big companies are. And they started releasing things the big tech companies would never have released, like mm. couldn't, couldn't release. And so I'll, I'll actually read an excerpt from something, because I think this drills home this point very clearly. So DeepMind, you, if you've listened to the podcast before, you hear us talk about DeepMind quite a bit. Demis Asabas, to me, is like probably going to end up being the most important person of our generation, You know, co-founder of DeepMind and the current CEO. So this is from, I, I shouldn't even tell you the date, because it'll sound like it's, it's coming from that, but I'm going to tell you anyway. December 8th, 2021. So a little over a year ago, year and two weeks. The the article is titled Language Modeling at Scale, Gopher, Ethical Considerations and Retrieval. So now this gets slightly dense, but bear with me because it's worth listening to and unpacking. This is this is how the post starts. Language, and it's oh, real. So DeepMind built AlphaGo, built Alpha built all these insane advancements in deep learning. Like they are. They're on par with OpenAI, probably well beyond open AI in terms of their impact, but they got acquired by Google in 2014 for like $670 million. So they are a research lab that basically functions independently within Google. Okay. All right. Language and its role in demonstrating and facilitating comprehension or intelligence is a fundamental part of being human. It gives people the ability to communicate thoughts, concepts, express ideas, create memories and build mutual understanding. These are foundational parts of social intelligence. It's why our teams at DeepMind study aspects of language processing and communication, both in artificial agents and in humans. As part of a broader portfolio of AI research, we believe the development and study of more powerful language models, systems that predict and generate text have tremendous potential for building advanced AI systems that can be used safely and efficiently to summarize information, provide expert advice, and follow instructions via language. Developing beneficial models requires research in their potential impacts, including the risks they pose. This includes collaboration between experts from varied backgrounds, thoughtfully anticipate and address challenges that training algorithms on existing data sets can create. Again, December of 2021. Today, we are releasing three papers on language models. What I'm trying to get to here is Google is working on this stuff. Meta is working on this stuff. Apple is working on this stuff, Amazon. Just because OpenAI is releasing stuff doesn't mean it doesn't also live within the big companies. So I'll come back in a minute. So today we are releasing three papers on language models. They include a detailed study of a 280 billion parameter transformer language model called Gopher. I'll explain that in a second. A study of ethical and social risks associated with large language models and a paper investigating a new architecture with better training efficiency. Real quick, parameters. So it's a 280 billion parameter transformer language model. Transformer is the underlying architecture uh, that allows these models to be built, these language models to be built. It's what GPT-3 is built on. Generative pre-trained transformer is what GPT stands for. 280 billion is a lot. Uh, I think GPT-3 is 175 billion. The more parameters, Historically, the belief, the more powerful the language model. done Okay, back to the article. As well as quantitative evaluation of Gopher, we also explored the model through direct interaction. Now, again, think about chat GPT as I read this next line. Among our key findings was that when Gopher is prompted towards a dialogue interaction, parentheses, like a chat, the model can sometimes provide surprising coherence. Sound familiar? The shock people have at chat GPT? go read the article. They, they show a chat occurring with Gopher. So go- DeepMind, research lab within Google in 2021, publishing something larger than chat, than GPT-3 saying, hey, we have this tech too, but hold on a second, we're not going to release it. However, our research also detailed several failure models that persist across model sizes. Among them, a tendency for repetition. Now, ChatGPT has gotten pretty good at that, but it it fails once it gets past like 800 words. Like it it still has limitations. Um, so uh, persist cross language. Among them, tendency for repetition, the reflection of stereotypical biases, and the confident propagation of incorrect information. What has every marketing influencer who's written about chat ChatGPT said? It's confident. It has an ego, basically. Like it's it believes everything it says. Open AI didn't invent this tech. <laughs> they have Google has it, DeepMind has it, Microsoft has it, Meta has it. Everybody has this stuff. Now, is it better than ChatGPT? I don't know. I'm not in the labs, but my belief is yes, that open AI doesn't actually have anything unique. And that to me, is the biggest challenge with where this all goes is what if what open AI has isn't even state-of-the-art? Hmm. What if chat GPT is not the state-of-the-art chat model, language model? I, I wouldn't say with the same confidence I do as an inflection point in 2023, but I would be fairly confident that what we're seeing right now, what people are playing with, the shiny object right now, is not even state-of-the-art. Now, OpenAI also has a more powerful version. Like, again, my belief and what I've kind of been told from within the research labs is historically what we're experiencing as consumers, as professionals, is usually like 12 months behind what lives in the research labs. So, ChatGPT today, we're actually using tech they have had since 12 months prior. Hmm. Now, the other thing I'm hearing is that number is moving very quickly down. So now it's like because the release cycles are happening so quickly, it's like six months. So like we're just seeing chat GPT today, and they maybe have something that's like six months ahead of it, living at OpenAI's research labs. But the trillion dollar question again is, what does Microsoft have? Because we know they did a deal with NVIDIA. They announced uh, October of 21, Microsoft and NVIDIA team up to train one of the world's largest language models which they called Megatron Turing. I love that. Anything with Megatron is cool. <laughs> Anything with actually is transform it. So they had a, uh, a 530 billion parameter language model. Again, October of 21. Meta in two, May of 2022, democratizing access to large scale language models with OPT 175 billion. So in line with Meta's AI commitment to open science, we are sharing our open pre-trained transformer, 175 billion parameter. Apple which doesn't talk about anything they're doing, completely secretive. I look at it and it's as like, well, shit, what if Surrey actually good? Like, what if Apple all along has been building their own language model? It doesn't even have to be better than everybody else, but what if Surrey works? What if Google assistant works? What if Alexa actually becomes something more than asking the weather and the time, which, sorry, that's all I've ever used it for. Um, <laughs> so that was like the thing I spent break thinking about, and, and again, like we don't we don't have answers to this. I have no answers. But I found myself saying, like, okay, what if Q1 of 2023, these big companies that historically wouldn't release things because of their concerns around misinformation, failure, repetition, whatever their concerns were, ethical bias, whatever. What if they have to? Like, what mm-hmm. if what if OpenAI and Stability AI and Hugging what if they just forced their hand where all these big companies say, screw it, we gotta go? What is the safest version? that we can possibly release of this. And I started to think like, well, well, what if that then lives in the things we already use? Like what if Google Docs and Google Sheets truly has this stuff infused in it? Not some, you know, cute machine learning stuff and some basic things like summarization of my doc and Google Docs is nice, like fine. Um, but what if Microsoft Word and Office 360 and Google all of a sudden have the most powerful language model technology baked right into them? Hmm. What does that do to the third party AI writing tool marketplace? What does it do to the assistant marketplace? What does it do to all this like ecosystem? And that's where I'm like, man, like, I don't know. Like, and I started really sitting back thinking like, what if meta breaks off the metaverse? Like what Hmm. if, you know, and and Kalanakis, um, Jason Kalanakis, who you and I both listened to, um, he and Molly Wood, is it? Is that uh, his yeah, co-host? Yeah, um, This we Week start...
1: in Startups, yeah.
0: Yeah, awesome. And they were saying like, well, who, what CEO might leave this year? And they had theorized like, well, what if Zuckerberg leaves and just takes the metaverse separately, you know, becomes its own, you know, subsidiary maybe of the larger company. And what if Meta, which has a massive research lab run by Jan LeCun, like Meta does stuff in AI most people have no clue about. Like you don't mm-hmm. think of Meta as a major AI company unless you're in the space, but they are like probably rival any other research lab in the industry. So quick, quick context, Mike, and then I'll stop talking and let you. So one of the things we thought about, I came up with this concept like sometime in 2022, I think, and I don't think I've shared anything about it publicly, but it seemed like a good time. So I started analyzing SaaS companies, like tech companies based on how many AI ML staff they have, and then looking at the percentage of that staff to their total employee base, what I was hmm. calling their AI talent index. And so just for perspective, on the investment these companies are making in AI, ML. So ML being machine learning. If not familiar. So I just took Sales Navigator data, did a keyword search for title, and looked for anyone that had artificial intelligence, AI, ML, or machine learning in their title. This is obviously not an all-inclusive thing. People may have data in their title instead. Whatever it is, but it gives a pretty good representation. Microsoft, four thousand plus employees with AI, ML in the title. Mm. Amazon. 3,500, Apple, 3,000, IBM, 3,000, Google, 2,000, Meta, 1,500, Intel, 1,500, NVIDIA, 621, LinkedIn, 581, Oracle, 400, Adobe, 376, Salesforce, 181, HubSpot, 15, Drift, 13, just for context, like Hmm. two other companies we're really familiar with. 4,000 at Microsoft and a billion-dollar exclusive deal with OpenAI. I started thinking like I may need to move some of my stock. This is not stock <laughs> advice. I am not providing any kind of like public guidance. But what I've always tried to make the bets on who's going to win in an AI, and to me, that was like the future of my investments. Like that's that's where I put my money, just like betting on the future of AI. And the obvious companies are the players, but like you start to wonder like what happens to Google? Like their whole business is ad revenue still. Amazon is dominated by their cloud business. AWS drives massive profits, and they own a huge part of the market share for cloud. But Microsoft's kind of the dark horse, just like mm. quietly moving along. And then Apple's the great unknown. Like, what do they do? They got three thousand AI ML employees. You never hear anything about it. Yet it's, it's infused into your iPhone. So yeah, I mean, like you kind of let off. Like this episode isn't about here's the answers. This episode is about stretching your thinking to like. This is way bigger than ChatGPT. It is mm-hmm. way bigger than AI writing tools or image generation tools. That is the tip of the iceberg. It's like, again, the shiny object that got everyone thinking about AI and talking about it. But most people, and this is a cautionary tale, most people right now talking about AI who haven't talked about it before have no idea about this stuff. So what I what encourage people to do is like, if you're going to publicly have a point of view and if people listen to you, Like if you have a platform to talk about this, talk about it, do it, but also invest the time to understand what's going below the surface, because that's where the real innovation is going to happen. And you have to understand who these players are and what they're building to understand why these shiny objects exist and what might come next. And that's again, kind of what we're hoping to do with the Institute is connect these dots for people, or if nothing else, ask the questions that get you thinking about this at a deeper level.
1: I'm going to throw this out here. As you're talking through this, I feel like maybe a person could have felt like right before you found out about the Manhattan Project, right? Like, it, like the project that created like nuclear power and weapons. It feels like what we have seen to date is just scratching the surface. And there's this vast development that is happening behind the scenes that we know nothing about that could change, honestly, things overnight.
0: We didn't even get into government. <laughs> <laughs> so, God, I, I really don't want to go down this way.
1: <laughs> but
0: I would say that if I, I don't think it's happening, I, I hope it is, but I, I don't think it is. We need an Apollo level, move on from my hand project is going to be top of mind with Oppenheimer coming out, but like, yeah, we'll go into a positive <laughs> framework. Let's say the Apollo mission. Yes. And the money, the government, the resource government put into, you know, landing uh, humankind on the, on the, moon. um, the governments, and again, you may be listening to this all around the world, governments should be doing it. like, there should be a massive investment being made. And I know that there's billions, if not trillions, being spent on this. I know in, in the US and China, um, we've mm-hmm. talked about AI superpowers by Kai Fu Li's phenomenal book on this topic. If you want to understand what's going on in the race for AI supremacy, it is a race. There is trillions being spent on it. You don't hear about it much. Um, and that's a wild card because the stuff that's being developed by DARPA. So if you want to learn about DARPA, read the Pentagon's brain, going back to the 80s and earlier where they were trying to emulate. Um, The human brain, you know, trying to to rebuild how the brain works to create super soldiers and stuff. The tech from there is actually what gets commercialized today. So some Mm -hmm. of these companies that exist, like um, example, Surrey was government technology. Like that that was built for, you know, the battlefield. So, yes, like the government is a whole (laughs) nother realm of like what's being built with black ops money. And I have zero insights into that
1: other than what I read from yeah. So
0: I'm not even going to like. Oh, and there's, I love it. There's Suri talking to me. because Oh, there you go. About Suri.
1: <laughs> She's listening. My watch is
0: like, <laughs> always listening.
1: Yeah. No, yeah. And that's, and that's a whole, we don't want to get into conspiracy theories here. It just feels like this vast um, collection of talent. When you mentioned the kind of AI talent index that you're working yeah. on. You have to ask yourself, these are the the most in demand, highest paid, most highly trained professionals probably on the planet at in this field at this point, regardless of how many people are in school right this second for those types of roles and that type of work. How on earth do you bridge that gap as a company if you haven't hired that talent already? If you're going, if you're looking at a hundred versus four thousand. I, I mean know.
0: Well, and they're all going to leave. Like, so this, other you know, again, I, this episode could literally go for three hours. We could just keep pulling at threads here. But what's going to happen is already started to happen. You're going to see this explosion of generative AI tools, like image generation, video generation, things that generate stuff within sheets, things that generate like PowerPoints we talked about. Um, anything that you build, AI is going to assist you in building it through text prompts or through some prompt. You're going to tell it what you want. It's going to do it. So if you're a leading language model researcher, for example, at Google, because this is what happened, and you're working on the state of the art, you're watching OpenAI release stuff, and you're like, we, we had that 18 months ago, like we had it 12 months ago, we had, it six, we had that tech, and look yeah. at them. like they're getting all this glory and all this money, and they're doing the thing we invented. Like, Google invented the transformer. They're, they're, and you're sitting within the research labs, and you can't release that stuff, like. Do you just leave? Do you just go like I'm out? Like I'm just going to start my own thing. I'm just going to build a generative AI tool. I don't know. Like we asked, Vadan um, Mishra was you know from uh, works in AI research uh, from Google. And he was at our conference, and I asked him point blank uh, in the keynote, said, so why are you at Google? Like you could do anything be anywhere." And he said that to him, his ability to work on AGI, so general intelligence, was greatest at Google. Mm. That that he felt that his ability to be at the forefront of the the true holy grail, the end game, was was greatest within a research lab like Google's research lab. And so I, I don't again, I haven't asked that question of a bunch of AI researchers, but I think it's a general consensus that if you if you want to be at the forefront of AGI, like which again is the mission of DeepMind, it's the mission of OpenAI, it's the unspoken mission of research at probably meta and google and aws like it's why they're doing what they're doing is to get to agi first Hmm. then you're you're going to stay at these big companies and do it if you think that's the best path to it but if you at some point realize like i can just go build my own stuff you may have this like crazy exodus of all these like top ai researchers who just go build insane stuff like character dot AI that we've talked about, a conversational agent built by a guy who was one of the leading researchers of language models at Google. Hmm. And so I think that's part of the reason we're going to see a massive explosion of, of AI tech and generative AI is because one, it's it's relatively easy to build because stuff's getting open sourced. The models to do this are getting open sourced. Two, there's a lot of talent that can build these things and they can build them quick. Now, going back to business and marketing, the question becomes, well, what kind of talent do you hire there? Hmm. And my guidance there would be They don't exist. Like if you want to go find a bunch of marketers to do this, like it's part of what we're doing with our online Academy at the Institute, the piloting AI for marketers course is like, let's create the next generation of, of professionals who understand this stuff. And eventually we can almost play matchmakers like, Oh, you want to hire AI savvy marketers? Like we got thousands of them. Like that's part of the play. Um, but in the meantime, you just have to train your existing team. Like you, you, you can't just like stop and go find these people because they're not coming out of university just go like build an internal training program, get them the foundational stuff about AI and get them using the tools as like the best path forward.
1: That could not be a better way to pull all these threads together. Wow, <laughs> I, we, I love that we came into 2023 really hot here. Coming in this hot, is great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, thank you so much for the insights here, for the work you're doing to understand this stuff. I mean, I think the audience is going to get a ton of value out of this.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is the stuff that's fun to talk about. And again, I think, you know, for people who listen, thank you uh, for people who reach out to us and let us know, like it means a lot to us. Cause this is the stuff Mike and I have like sat around the coffee maker for the last like six years talking about by ourselves. And so it's, it's like wonderful to have a growing community of other people who also are interested in the topic. Um, cause we could talk about it all day long. There just hasn't been enough people listening. I don't think for, for a few years now granted like we have thirty five thousand subscribers so it's not like it's but but this is just feels different like mm-hmm. it feels like like progress is happening and that's very encouraging to us and it's encouraging um when we look out to the future of the industry and business because i th- i think this stuff is essential in your career and in your company like you, you truly have to solve for it so i i think it's great that we're hearing from more and more people who are trying to figure it out. And um, like I always say, just like be curious and keep taking the next step to learn this stuff. You're not going to figure it all at once. That's fine. You can figure it out in a day with the Piloting AI series, but like, it's not all going to make sense yet. But I mean, this episode goes deeper than I've ever gone publicly. Like I've never talked about all this stuff publicly, Um, sprinkle it into keynotes every once in a while. But yeah, this is probably one of the most far reaching conversations we've ever had about it. Certainly publicly.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks again and happy new year.
0: Yeah. Happy new year, everyone. And thanks for joining us. Um, we'll be back again next week. So it's, we'll try and stick to the weekly cadence uh, throughout the year. So yeah, definitely subscribe and uh, reach out to us and let us know and um, you know, give us a like and a rating and whatever you can do to, to help spread the word. We appreciate it. Thanks, everybody.